0: We're coming to uh, the end of a journey that we've been on uh, called Global Gospel. We've been following the book of Acts uh, and mapping uh, the story of those first 12. Jesus says to 12 guys, I'm going to invest in you. I want you to invest in others and we're going to use that model to change uh, the world. And some amazing things happened. They were scared and fearful after Jesus was crucified, obviously so. He came back to life, they were still a little startled about the whole thing, and he said, well hang on, the Spirit will come, and you will understand all that's happened, and you will have power to go and to follow what I have been doing. Uh, And that's what they did, uh, and they began to change uh, the world So much so that within 300 years, the whole of the Roman Empire had become Christianized, which was their downfall in the end, uh, institutionalizing what God was doing. But a remarkable story. Uh, And we've been following that right through, hence the reading right at the end of the book of Acts. And I've been asked to bring together two themes that would have been on two Sundays, but we skipped one at some point in our our journey. So here we go. We're bringing two themes that we see in the book of Acts together, just to conclude our thoughts uh, this morning. And they are that the gospel threatens and the gospel triumphs. It wasn't long before you read about the gospel being a huge threat. It was only chapter 3 of this book of 28 chapters when they began to face opposition they were hurled before the religious leaders they were ordered not to speak about jesus then they were beaten and whipped it's only chapter eight and and persecution breaks out and the whole group of new christians are scattered all over the known world and so it goes on and here right at the end of the book of acts we see that the gospel is still really threatening. It looks quite cosy in a way. Paul is under house arrest. But it belies the reality of his situation. It wasn't that long after this that he would be beheaded as a Roman citizen for all that he said about Jesus. But yet even in Acts chapter 28, it's not just the threat that he's going to be beheaded. We read about the miracles in the early parts of Acts chapter 28, some of Paul's greatest moments of God's presence and power. We read about the word of God spreading like it had never spread before. And so you get the threat and the triumph side by side all the way. And as the threat increased, so did the... Right, okay, sorry. Okay, we're we're (laughs) we're still all here, yeah? Okay, so as the threat went up, so did the triumph. Uh, and, And that's what we see. Now, you and I would imagine that as the threat goes up, the triumph would go down, because people would say, well, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to get involved with Jesus if that's what happens. But no, quite the opposite took place. As the threat went up, so did uh, the triumph. But it is weird, I think, that these early Christians faced such intense opposition. Because essentially, they were a bunch of uneducated fishermen and farmers. Now, apologies to fishermen and farmers. Not all fishermen and farmers are uneducated. But these guys were. They were not the people that were going to move and shake society. They were not the people that were going to make a difference. Why is it that so quickly, that so quickly, many people around decided that these guys were such a threat that they needed to be killed every one of the twelve apostles as best we can understand was martyred for their faith now it's a really serious thing when society says this small little movement of nobodies is such a threat that we're going to kill all their leaders don't you think no you'd be okay with that incredibly tense threats and opposition Why? Well, it wasn't them. Nobody's scared by a few fishermen and farmers unless you're on their land and he's got a pitchfork. Generally speaking. Why were these guys perceived as such a threat that the whole of the institutional world would rise up against them? Well, it wasn't them. It was who they were with. You see, they were with Jesus. And Jesus is a threat Jesus threatens now that's hard for us to begin to understand because surely the the Jesus I know doesn't threaten anybody he's the one that hangs out with homeless people and prostitutes and feeds the hungry and is nice to those on the margins of society he's the hippie man with the long rope who who wanders round in in those sort of uh, other back streets where not many people go what harm can Jesus do but it was Jesus Jesus threatens. A few weeks time, it's Christmas. Thank you, Claire. But before Christmas, it's Claire's birthday. And the bit of the story that we don't know what to do with, because Christmas is really nice, isn't it? Candles, singing, silent. Silent. See? We're ready, Andrew. It's going to be fantastic. Fantastic. So it's candles, nice music, logs on the fire. Oh, there's a song about that. Mistletoe and <laughs> tucked at the back of the Christmas story is a king who's so threatened that he kills every boy under the age of twelve uh, under the age of two in a whole village. Wow. Wow. Jesus threatens. He gets into his ministry, he starts reading from the Bible at the synagogue, and he reads some words about the person who's coming, who's been promised, and Jesus says to them, look, I think this is me. What do they do? They grab him, they take him out of the church, they take him to the cliff, to the Orwell Bridge of the day, and they threaten to push him off, but somehow he walks through the crowd. They cannot bear him for 18 months before they're plotting to kill him. And within three years, this man who's never hurt anybody, never done anything wrong, is nailed to a cross. That's how much Jesus threatens. But why? Why is he such a threat? You see, when people get close to Jesus, they either react to the threat or they revel in the triumph. And you need to decide where you are. The Bible talks about people being divided this way. Either you'll be threatened and you'll run or you'll fight and you'll kick and you'll scream. Or you'll see what's being given and you'll rejoice in what's being offered. The threat or the triumph. Well, there are a number of things that make Jesus a threat. The first thing is that Jesus threatens my autonomy. Uh, What John was saying is so true. I thought I, I could live for myself. I thought I could control everything about my own life. We are all control freaks. Aren't you? Because we all worry. And there are only two kinds of things that you can worry about. You either worry about things that you can change, in which case you're really stupid worrying about that. Or you worry about things that you cannot change because you want to control and if you cannot change them then worrying is pointless but we live our lives longing to be able to control many of the things we simply cannot control and Jesus came along and he said look this is the deal guys I am the way the truth and the life you cannot control your own destiny but I can and that made people mad and it still makes people mad The message that you cannot control your own destiny the message that your life might be in the hands of a greater person is a hard one for many of us to accept and people react against the threat jesus threatens our attitude everywhere you look the attitude that's in our society is this it's all about me it's all about me if you go into w smith the whole row of shelves, the magazines, are almost all about how to improve yourself. Have you tried any of them? No, I didn't think so. <laughs> you big fibbers. You... We all want to improve ourselves. We all think it's about me, if only I can get better at this, that, or the other. And Jesus says, no, it's not about you, it's about me, come follow me. And something inside me and you goes, I don't want to follow anybody. I want to be in charge of my own destiny. I want to look after myself. I want to strive for independence. Jesus threatens my actions. We will spend most of our time trying to make our lives secure. We will spend most of our time, time to protect that sense of well-being for ourselves. Making our own comforts and our own security paramount in most of what we do. One of the other actions that, we, that drives our, our lives is I have, therefore I am. If only I can have that and that and that and that, then I'll be. It's disappointing to have that, 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 and that and still realise you aren't who you want to be, isn't it? Don't act like you haven't tried it. Autonomy, attitude, actions, agenda. Hey, I've got plans. I've got plans for my life. I've got plans. Jesus says, Leave everything and follow me. These are some of the reasons that Jesus is such a threat, and maybe you're beginning to feel threatened by him. And if from time to time, even as Christian people, we're not really threatened by Jesus, we haven't got close enough to him. Do you understand what I'm kind of meaning? He is a threat to the kind of things that in my human nature I would hold dear. And maybe you're feeling that threat. But before you join the ranks of those who are threatened and react against him and those who follow him, why is it that 2,000 years later, when the threats are at their highest... More people were martyred during the last century for following Jesus than all the other centuries put together. Why is it when the threat is at its highest, the triumph is also at its highest because more people are coming to Christ today than at any other time in history? The threats are high, but the triumphs are higher still. What is it that helps people deal with the threat And move and receive and walk in the triumph. Well, I've just got three things, three thoughts to leave with you. Number one is this. Jesus brings us to the Father. Jesus brings us to the Father. What people are discovering about Jesus is that he is the only one who can help us walk into God's presence. And more amazing still, Not only to walk into God's presence and God go, who are you? We can walk into God's presence and God goes, call me Dad. Call me Father. I want you to be my child. I want you to be my son or my daughter. And the Bible says this amazing thing, how much God's love has been poured on us, that we should be called children of God. And suddenly, if my father is in the house of my life, All those longings to control, all those desires for my own agenda, take on a very different perspective. When I was uh, uh, living at home, no, you know, my home home, I live at home now. Everybody lives at home, don't they? Because it wouldn't be their home if they didn't live there. So uh, when I was living, when I was growing up, um, uh, occasionally my parents would go away and I'd be left in the house by myself. Now, it wasn't kind of home alone. I wasn't six. I was seven and a half, so it was absolutely fine. Uh, um, And and I can remember some of those first times I was left in the house by myself overnight. You kind of get into bed and you think to yourself, was that a noise? Was, Was that a noise? Did I lock the back door? Did I turn the fire out? Is the lounge on fire as I lie here even now? And so I'd sleep with one eye open just to see what was going on. And then when the father came home, I I don't need to stress about that anymore. Some of you are living with one eye open because you're dead scared. Because you think you're in charge. And you think, flip, if I'm in charge, I can't control anything. I'm in trouble. And you can't sleep at night, metaphorically, or maybe literally, because you sense you're in trouble. Jesus introduces us to the Father so that we can be home. You don't need to worry anymore. And suddenly all this striving, all this need to control absolutely everything. Hey, I don't need to control anything because I can't. But Father God, who loves me and has my best at heart, he's in charge. Hallelujah. He's in charge. I can sleep at night because he's in charge. My agenda, well, sometimes I'll still fight for it. But then as soon as I do, I realise that means I'm in charge. Oh, no, no, Father in charge. the second thing is Jesus brings us forgiveness forgiveness you see deep down I think we all know we're wrong and that's not just a, a kind of wild guess you know I spend most of my professional life talking with people about how they feel and inside the church outside the church there's something deep inside that we feel that we're wrong but the trouble is this What if I am wrong? I can't admit that. Because if I admit that I'm wrong, where does that leave me? I'm 40 years of age and I'm wrong. I'm stuffed. I've got nowhere to go with that. But imagine. Imagine if you could admit that you were wrong because you know you can be forgiven and given a brand new start. You see, I can admit that I'm not the husband I should be or the father I long to be. Or the minister you've called me to be. Or the friend Jesus asks me to be. Because there's forgiveness. Because I can have a new start. Anyone interested in that? Is that just me? Am I the only one who thinks I might be wrong sometimes? But it's a terrible thing to hit the pillow at night and to know deep in your heart, to feel you're wrong and think... I've got nowhere to go with this. I can't even say it out loud because I'm stuffed. People all over the world are discovering that when Jesus died on the cross, it was to forgive us, to sort us out, to cleanse us, to renew us. I can go, I'm wrong, (laughs) but there's an answer to being wrong. Hallelujah. (coughs) And that's why people are are fighting through the threats to the triumph. I, I need... I need to sort out what's wrong. It's nothing worse than getting to the end of your life and looking back and, and I see my regrets and I see my disappointments and I see my failures. I won't admit them to myself and I certainly won't tell you about them but they're all too painfully there and I can't do anything about it. Listen, the reason people are finding Jesus all over the world is that you can do something about it. You're all looking at me like you've never heard this stuff before. This isn't true, is it? Come on. He does something about it. And the last one. Jesus brings us the future. Jesus brings us the future. You see, there are so many things that we try to control that we can't, and it stresses us out. You know, you've been paying into your pension, and that's been pointless, hasn't it? (laughs) By the time I retire, I will need to be 125 the government will give me a pack of Wrigley chewing gum every Monday and say all the best. How many hours have we spent worrying about our pension? Too many. Some of you longed to have a child and you couldn't. Some of you put your head on the pillow and worry about not waking up. It could be 101 things. There's something about the future you just wish you could control. Hey, good news and bad news. Bad news first. You can't control it. You cannot plan for tomorrow. But you can put your life in the hands of one who controls everything. I can go through a dark valley, do you know? And he's with me. I can lose stuff that I thought was really important, and he's with me. I can stand by the grave of someone that I love, and I know that he's with me. I can know that when all is said and done, I'll be with him. And then the threats don't matter. Then the searching after my own autonomy... My own stupid actions and my own pathetic agenda and my own miserable attitudes seem nothing compared to the triumph of finding a Jesus who takes me to the Father now, who offers me a brand new start now, who says the future, the next minute, the next five years, 10 years, 15 years, 25, 35 years, on into eternity is his and I'm safe and I'm secure because in my life, the Father's home. father's home is he home in your life there are two things when you think about Jesus you can get really mad at him because he's asking for everything or you can discover that giving him what you think is everything but really is hardly anything he will literally give you everything in return and the greater the threats the more people discover the triumph. So where are you when you get close to Jesus? You see, when people get close to Jesus, they react to the threat or they revel in the triumph. If you're not doing either of those, Christian or not, then you've never really got close to Jesus because that's the deal. That's the deal. And as John said, I loved it. It's the hardest thing. You know, don't let anybody kid you that being a Christian is an easy thing to do. Don't let anybody kid you that following Jesus is a piece of cake. It is the hardest thing you will ever, ever do. But I wouldn't change it for the world. Jesus tells a story, and I'll finish with this, about a man who thought he could gain the whole world. In fact, he was doing really well for himself. Our culture would applaud him. He'd done so well in business, he was building bigger barns to put all the stuff he was uh, producing in them. And then those barns weren't big enough, so he knocked them down and he built bigger barns. And it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. This man had gone global and everyone went, yeah, we want to be like him. He's ruling the world. And he died. And Jesus said he was a fool. He was a fool. You can gain the whole world. You can gain what you think is everything. But if you lose your soul, you're a fool. I've been a fool. I've lived in a way that's lost my soul in order to gain what I thought was the world. So has the person next to you done that? And the person behind? And the one in front, for that matter? And now Jesus says, hey, come. Come follow. Come follow. Come follow.